0: Welcome to the special Developer News and TechCast edition from Philly Merging Technologies for the Enterprise 2014. I'm Ken Rimple, and I'll be joined in a little bit by a number of chariot uh, consultants talking about their favorite talks. Um, We have over 500, in fact, it's close to 550, uh, if not a little bit over, uh, people at EDE this year. And one thing I'd like to do is I'd like to bring in Tracy Wilson-Rossman. See if I can bring her over here. Joined by Tracy Wilson Rossman, who also is a podcaster on the, the, the business of technology. And who is the main like genius behind ETE? I'm gonna call you the genius. No, you have to take that. You do. So tell me about our attendance this year. What are we at? If you're real close to the mic. We're at
1: 550 this year?
0: 550? That's crazy.
1: It is crazy. Is that our is that our highest attendance? It is. I let too many people slip in. <laughs> It wasn't so, keeping track.
0: So I know we've been like, you know, recording some film and stuff about retrospectives. What do you think keeps people coming back here every year?
1: I think the content keeps getting better and better and I think that um, the reputation of our audience uh, really is allowing the speakers to know that they're going to be at a great event. So um, on the speaker circuit, so to say, we just have a great uh, reputation. Um, So it's sort of, it's feeding on itself.
0: That's true. I mean, I I remember, you know, first time we got someone like Dave Thomas, I'm like, we have Dave Thomas or, you know, we have um, Uncle Bob and people like that. And now it's commonplace to get someone with a huge name and it's, we don't even have to do that much of a sales point because everyone knows what this is.
1: Right. So, I mean, it's just, it's certainly not an overnight success. Um, I I think it was about year five or year six where I really felt like we had reached that tipping point of you know, we had always been successful, but getting to that next level.
0: Right, right. Okay, so anything uh, interesting from today that you saw that uh, just in terms of things happening at E.T. you thought was kind of interesting and notable?
1: You know, I love the fact that the speakers um, hang out uh, and I got to be in a circle uh, talking about uh, platforms being chosen uh, for legacy systems With like a who's who, it's amazing, and they were all talking with each other. So it 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 is. It's just really, and I think the other thing that I heard last night was um, how excited somebody was to come to our event, um, who was a speaker, because he was going to meet all these other people that he had wanted to meet.
0: Yeah, that's a common theme, isn't it? And it's a
1: common theme. We we hear that year after year. So um, yeah, I I would say that's it.
0: Great. All right. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you, Ken. Mm-hmm. Here we go. I got dev news and I got more dev news and more dev news. So this is dev news 85, um, believe it or not. And um, so what is it? Today is the 22nd of April, 2014. We might as well do our thing. I'm Ken Rimple. John Kapadia. I'm Joel Confino, And we're here to talk about tech because tech, <laughs> That's the best i got to say. Emerging um, technologies. Th- for just, the enterprise. Just
2: for the background, that we're standing in an incredibly crowded happy hour full of
0: fairly lively attendees. Yeah. Yes. So.
3: I'm drinking 60-minute IPA right now.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So we'll start, um, I guess there's a, uh, there's a conference that I want to make people aware of for the Groovy Grail set um, that is called Greech. I thought Screech was Saved by the bell, <laughs> And um, I, I, it was an interesting name, but uh, Greech is the name of the conference. And uh, we'll start with that. So yeah. there is a playlist uh, on YouTube we'll link to. And there's a lot of interesting talks. They're talking about Groovy. The Groovy Spanish conference. And so this was just recently. Um, and on YouTube, they have a playlist for this thing. And let's see here, Agenda. Uh, they were covering um, you know, groovy. I guess what is it, two point three at this point or something? Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna complain. Can I complain? <laughs> sure. This whole scrolling website model that people do oh, no, to forget now. forget it. I no. hate this. Oh, I love I it. it. Oh, so, why?
2: So sometimes it's okay, but when there's the um, the superfluous parallax image, then then it becomes a little bit of a problem.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know, like right now, I'm, i I want to get to the agenda. There it is, full agenda. All right, so we got 25 talks. Um, so there was Groovy uh, by Guillaume LaForge, who is the Groovy leader, right. talking about the newer things in Groovy. Um, so Groovy is starting to look a lot like Scala. They have traits now. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, like <laughs> everyone's going, we don't have that. You've got the Golden Arches, you got the Golden Arcs, you know, the whole thing. So one of the things they've done is they've introduced something called traits. And, and you can... Um, you can now add like basically interfaces with methods in them, mm-hmm. um, right. and that's that's one of the things. This guy MS hag. do you know if Michael, it goes off of
3: uh, is Groovy two three based on Java eight at all? You know, I
0: don't know. Okay, that, that would be something I should have prepped for. Because Java eight has mixins, right. so maybe they're just kind of delegating the mixins I or guess something. Just, yeah, I have no idea. Right, right. But anyway, so this guy uh, Michael. Uh, Michael Schareg, um did a bunch of blog articles, one on Groovy two, three traits uh, and also one on uh, another feature. Let me see if I can find it in here. Um, closure composition in Groovy. And I don't know if that's something new or not, but uh, that's there. Um, and then it looks like they have some other things like, you know, behavior driven development using Cucumber and Groovy. Um, there's some case studies. So if you're curious, you know if you're if you're curious about you know what's going on with grails and groovy, you could you could like go check that thing out. So we're gonna introduce uh, Keith Gregory. Keith is one of Chariots Consultants. And uh, what I'd like to know from Keith, I guess, and from everyone here is, um, so what did you think some of your uh, favorite talks so far from me to you were, Keith?
4: Uh, I like the Camille Fournier talk this afternoon about Zookeeper. Zookeeper, yeah, but. By far the best, I think, was Brian Getz, who's doing the keynote tomorrow, right. talking about uh, lambdas in Java 8. But really, not so much about lambdas, but the engineering thought that went into Ooh. how they implemented lambdas. Yeah, and, without a doubt, I thought that was the best talk. Right.
0: I'm kicking myself for missing that one. I was I was prepping for a talk, so so, but that's good. We're going to record all these. So so, what were some of the things that went into the, his, his thought process?
4: So. Lambdas, you think of them. You think of them as just it's a function that's running. Implement them with an inner class. Really easy. For example, Scala, uh, Scala lambdas, Scala anonymous functions. Use, they subclass a whole set of uh, basic class objects. Right. And Brian went through a discussion of okay, this is one approach to it, but here are the limitations of that approach. Then he turned around and said, okay, with Java. I think it was Java Seven uh, method handles. We could do it this way, right. but here are the limitations with this approach. So here's ultimately how we did it, uh, which is basically on the fly creating a class the first time that you invoke a lambda, and then referencing that class afterwards, right. and saying. Well, the key points he came out with is you know this approach, which uses the new invoke dynamic uh, bytecode. Let's us change the way we implement in the future. It's an an idea, a way that a compiler works today, but in the future it changes. Right, it
3: defers the strategy until runtime, so they can change the implementation at run later.
0: So, well. so this is probably also going to, I guess. This is a JVM feature, right? Not just a Java feature?
4: Yes, JVM yes. feature. So this
0: is going to potentially breed its way through into all sorts of other languages perhaps, right?
4: Right, in fact, the, uh, the underlying invoke dynamic operation was added to support languages such as Groovy, such as Ruby, uh, back in 1.7. Okay.
0: So they're reusing that feature. I get you. And they're, they're basically applying that now to, to Java 1.8. Right. Okay, right. I get you. Uh, so, what else did you see while, while we have you here that you liked? <laughs> Testing you on this.
4: Oh, uh, you know, without me looking at uh, no, the schedule. No, I know. Schedule. I know. So, the Camille Fournier talk, the last one, and I had seen her at OSCON last year, I believe. Yep. I've seen her before talking. She's a good speaker. Yes, yeah, she is. And yeah. very interesting, and again, rational presentation. Why yes. you do something, why you don't. Right. Uh, and then the distributed systems I saw, I can't remember the presenters, but for uh, Groupon and also for Twitter. I didn't oh, see the anything. Groupon one. You missed that one? Yeah. How was
0: the Groupon one?
4: Uh, the Groupon was interesting. It was okay, we have a system that's a monolithic system that we know we need to change. How do we do that? And it was presented as a rewrite, although, as he said later, it was a very focused rewrite, pulling out Bits of the application, putting a hold to new development re- and rewriting around an API, which I, I think is a great idea. Did they sure. do
3: sort of do a microservices architecture as well? Or
4: I, I, think you could call it microservices. I think that my interpretation of microservices, uh, such as Amazon uses for its pages, may or may not apply. Okay, it was it was more a a focused service, and then it seemed to be each page would deal with one service, but I, I may be misinterpreting.
3: Okay. I've been getting that three, uh, that theme throughout some of the talks, like, all right, let's take this large monolithic app, break it up into a bunch of small different services. L- Jeff Hodges in Twitter talk, he sort of discussed the same thing as well.
4: All right, ultimately what you're getting at is refactoring, and I think Jeff Hodges had actually said that in response to a question. You're taking pieces and breaking them out. And in the case of Twitter, for example, it's services, and he looks at the fact that when you're distributing over hundreds, thousands of machines, it's very difficult to distribute, say, a library of support code. But to me, it's the same idea. You have basic functionality that you pull out, you separate out, you develop and maintain separately. Right.
0: We had an interesting keynote today, too. Um, Joel Spolsky. Uh, Joel on software, famously, and now uh, Stack Overflow, among other things. Didn't realize he was an Excel project manager back in the day.
4: Yeah, I've been reading Joel. Okay, I'm going to drop names. I've been reading Joel (laughs) pretty much since he started writing in 2000. Uh He actually started a little bit earlier. And, you know, very much I'm kind of a fanboy. He said what every developer wants to hear, Yes. which is again take a rational approach to what you're doing right. right
0: right yeah his talk was that the essence was like how to grow a community and then what happens when the community grows beyond a reasonable size and you get the trolls right You know, and basically that yeah the rules all oh, rules suck right everyone hates rules but rules are there but to keep the riffraff out and i hate to say riffraff but people who basically don't want to be part of the community they want to rebel against and change the community when the community works
4: people who want To have their own ideas heard over other people, right? It's actually I'm I'm going to sidetrack a little bit on that. I used to listen (laughs) to the Joel and Jeff podcast. Oh, that
0: was a great one.
4: Yeah, they were great. And one thing that stands out to me is he had said one of the ideas behind Stack Overflow is someone asks a question once and gets the canonical answer, right? And one of my frustrations with Stack Overflow is you've got a lot of duplications. If, if you do a Google search, for example, for out-of-memory error with Stack Overflow, you get thousands of results. And I, I think it speaks to kind of when you create rules and all rules have unintended consequences. You have to live with them, yeah. Well, in the case of duplicate content, I, I used to participate in Stack Overflow quite a bit and I'd go and look and say, hey, this question must be a duplicate. I'm going to vote to close it, but I'm going to find out what it's duplicating. Right. And while I do that research, I'd find someone else had come in with high rep and answered it. And I realized that, yeah, people hate answering the same thing over and over again. But if your game pays them for doing that, they'll be happy to do it. Uh, okay. so that's an interesting sidelight on that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Know. All right. Cool. Well, yeah. Thank you very much.
4: All right. Appreciate thank it. you. Enjoy your beer. Right.
0: <laughs> okay. We have Joel coming back here for a second. Joel, let's do another dev news item. So there was a guy that said, you know what? Heartbleed. That's not a problem. In fact, I'll give you my password. I swear to God, this is what happened. So the Washington Post has this hilarious situation. Some guy thought he was, um, you know, talking up how safe it was to ignore Heartbleed. But then he gave out his credentials online. <laughs>
2: <laughs> File that under, serves I you right. love the picture.
0: The <laughs> picture is Picard from Star Trek face palming, right? And it says, <laughs> the guy says, I couldn't give a flying fig about the heartbeat heart bleed thingamajig. Two years ago already, the thing's been running loose, and not a word of someone crying over its damage. Say, does anyone really know its origin? Uh, Russian crackers? Seattle high schoolers? The NSA, Yahoo's marketing department? And then he goes, uh, basically, you know, here's my password. Go ahead and mess with it. Why would you do that? I do not know. So, of course, guess how long it took for people to hack it? Like two minutes. <laughs> so they basically changed his name. They changed his reputation. They messaged, They destroyed this poor guy. <laughs> 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 so they took over his uh, Twitter account. So And it, yeah. one of the quotes was, okay, perhaps putting my password on a national news site is not so good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't feel sorry for him, unfortunately. No. It's just you know just um, reminds
2: you of the firearm
0: instructor who shoots himself in the foot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, if you're using um, uh, build tools in JavaScript, uh, there is a note if you're if you're using uh, hard links, let's say, and you're using broccoli, it's a real edge case, I think. But let's say you do hard links instead of, of uh, I say, symbolic links. Um, you could actually have data loss it can overwrite the 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 files and the link and wipe things out Hmm. so let's say you're working with broccoli you're playing around with broccoli uh and you know you hard link the directory you could literally lose things so they're basically saying upgrade to broccoli in versions uh greater than 0.7.1 okay so just broccoli's cool losing data is not that's correct and so uh they did find out what that was they posted a note and I just wanted to point that out. If you're experimenting with new build tools and it's Broccoli, take a quick look and make sure you're not doing that to yourself. Um, Can you explain just quickly for people that don't
3: know Broccoli what it is?
0: Yeah, Broccoli is a build tool um, in JavaScript, kind of like Ant in Java. And uh, if I remember correctly with Broccoli, let me see here. Um, It's an asset pipeline. Right, asset pipeline based on the concepts behind the asset pipeline in Rails, right? Mm and it's so very fast too it's very fast are you using broccoli in your project
2: uh, we're not but we uh during the Hado hackathon we uh were hacking with ember data and uh, we use broccoli as the basically as the build tool there and uh it was it was fast it's kind of like the new hotness
0: right cool. yeah there's there's one that's really popular right now also is gulp that's stream-based and so with gulp you basically say move this to that through this through that so you know Go ahead and pass your set of files through JS Lint, and if it gets through JS Lint, then you know uh, minify them, and then if it gets through minification, pack them up and concatenate them, and you know, that kind of thing.
2: It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So
0: that's called Gulp, and Gulp has a lot of plugins. It has like 500 plus plugins now, and that has a lot of interest. And Broccoli is very new. I think it first got released as a beta to the world in, in February of this year, mm-hmm. but it's one to watch definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the big thing around all those JavaScript build tools is, do they support the main things you have to do on a daily basis? Can they run, you know, Karma tests or whatever the testing engine is? Can they run Selenium? Can they kick off your your minification process? Can they package things up, can they do cache busting? And if they do all those things, then I think, yeah, it's something you can look at and say, okay, this is a tool that can work in a a JavaScript workflow. Mm -hmm. And I think that Broccoli's still early for some of that stuff, but... Doesn't mean it's not usable. It's just, it's the new kid on the block, so.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of them, I think they're saying like Grunt is a nice task runner, and you yes. can use that as a, task, as a task runner. You can use it to build stuff, but this is just like an asset pipeline that builds stuff.
3: So yeah. is like, is broccoli sort of like declarative more? Where you just say, this is how I wanted to look and it figured out how to do it, like make?
2: Now you're gonna make me think. Yeah, <laughs> No. Um, now you've just expanded beyond my broccoli knowledge. Okay, uh, just right, type moving like,
0: on. Let's move on, yeah. But anyway, no, it's worth it. I think it would be good to have maybe a, a tech cast around some of this stuff. Yeah, I'll have um, to take a look at that. That's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting build tools out there now, and almost too many, actually. But really? I'll <laughs> go out
2: on a limb and say, broccoli is not like make.
0: Um, broccoli is not like make is probably a good safety <laughs> yeah, to do. Right.
2: By that, I meant like declarative. <laughs> yeah, not I know. I was just making a statement I could be safe on.
3: I'm not trying to scare <laughs> JavaScript developers out there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've got an interesting um, thing to talk about with the JavaScript world. So, um, have you ever heard of the Efi? The I'm not sure what you just
3: said. Efi, <laughs> oh, is, is that the uh, immediately executing? Yes, function thingamajig, functional ex- function expression, the function Yeah, I use it yes. all the time.
0: That's right. So, <laughs>
2: I actually do, but I just to know that it's pronounced
0: Efi. Yeah. So, th- so there's a web page for this. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble getting anything done.
2: But um, <laughs> <laughs> my kid told said that the other day, and I made him stay in the corner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you get that easy, and you knock it off. I told. I'll tell your mother. <laughs> but no. So there's a nice little website that describes what yeah. me, uh, They're mentioned in the mentioned the Cockford Good Parts book too. Yes. Yes. And so there's a little web page that kind of describes that. I found that and thought it was a nice little link. So we will post that to the show notes. Um, and it turns out there's a couple different formats of it. Basically, you know, whether you put your parameters on the inside or the outside of the initial uh, set of parentheses, it doesn't really matter, I don't think, realistically. Um, but, you know, pick a style and stay with it. Right. Ha- have, you, have you been passing things through to it, like parameters, into the IIFE? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the way I've used
3: it is passing configuration information in and construct, so encapsulating something that basically builds a module or an object, then returns that, but it's encapsulated in an iffy, so you're essentially building a singleton. Right. And it just returns that, and all you get is an instance back. You can't, it's not something you can keep invoking. It gets assigned to a variable, and because it gets executed immediately in line. So
0: it's, like, it's a cool way to build singletons in one way. Right, right. I have this new thing called Spring Boot, and I've got to say it's pretty cool. So Spring Boot um, has a couple components to it. One of them is a simple command line that takes Groovy scripts. And you can put the guts of a Spring MVC controller in the Groovy script, and say spring run watch script name. And it will instantly set up a web server, run Spring MVC, and run your controller. That is really cool. You can also do spring run star.groovy, for example, and it will find all your Groovy scripts, and detect what they have in them and run all of those things. Hmm. So, you know, set up JMS, you know, Spring JMS, set up, you know, uh, JPA, that kind of thing. Hmm. So, that's one thing. Um, and the, I think the, the CLI runner it has a way to go yet because it doesn't do everything. Like I asked about, um, we, had, we had Dave Taransky who did a, a Spring talk today um, about this because he works with the engineering team. And he said, well, mm-hmm. it doesn't detect everything. So, for example, MongoDB, it won't load the Mongo jars and things like that out of the box. But they do have, as the next thing in the Spring Boot is, they've got a bunch of starter project uh, bases. And so some of those are, for example, there's a a, a plugin you can run that sets up the Spring containers. Mm-hmm. And then you can extend from a base project, and it gives you all your dependencies. Mm-hmm. And you just run with it. Now is this for doing, you mentioned the Groovy scripts,
2: but is this for Grails or is this for Spring MVC? Groovy,
0: or? Spring, Spring MVC, Spring um, XD, Spring Data, Spring Integration, Spring Batch. Mm-hmm. Any of those things, mm-hmm. so it's basically if you're doing Spring and you want to quickly get started with a Spring project, you can look at Spring Boot as a way of, of getting you started with the project without um, like running an app server or something, right? When you mean standalone, it's standalone, so it can actually create an executable jar for you. Nice, okay. and then it can like in that executable jar it can boot up Spring MVC and download the assets and or Spring Integration or whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's kind of cool that way. Um, so anyway, check out Spring Boot at Spring.io. Uh, and you can install the, the command line tool, or you can just use like the Maven or Gradle uh, base projects or base uh, plugins. Mm-hmm. So another interesting thing, did you know Java 8 uh, can do true string joining now without string buffering? No, I did not. All right. Let me see if I can actually use my uh, computer, my tablet here. Um, so this is the other one that I found from, from uh, Mr. Uh, um I think he's from Germany. Uh, now you have this concept, so Java 8 has this string joiner class uh, and you can basically do kind of like what string buffer does, but but now um, you can also do like um, string.join and put things together too. It's just kind of like a, a new syntax for doing uh, string concatenation. Hmm. Is it
2: um, any kind of performance improvement or it's just syntactically better?
0: I think it's syntactically better. I think it's like a sugar thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't I've, think been is- you,
3: I've been using Guava
0: to do that. Oh, OK. Well, there you go. So Guava has like a joiner kind of thing. Yeah,
3: the joiner and like you can give us some parameters on how you want to join something or which uh, I guess you can skip certain things or basically configure parameterize the
0: joiner. But yeah, gotcha. it's had that. Cool. But so, so Java 8. Cool. Now we have that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the news. So, so anybody, um, do you guys, either of you have like picks for what you're going to see tomorrow, what you're looking forward to? Uh, I was thinking about today. I had some really good talks today. But oh, yeah. I
2: haven't talked to you about yours yet. Yeah, uh, yeah today uh, today I saw, uh, I, I was at the event sourced talk. That was really cool. It was a high-level talk, but it's basically, event sourcing is basically storing every single event in your system. So you would store, for instance, in a shopping cart, you, know, you would store, the cart was created, item one was added, item two was added, the cart uh, shipping information was added. So you're doing a history of time. And if you store your system like this, this is really like a transaction log, like what databases do. Databases store a transaction log, and then they uh, also store another form for reading and querying, like a B-tree or something. We're saying that, so it's a very proven system of doing things, but if you do this, if you take that basically transaction log, which is this sequence of events, very simple, append-only, and you do this for everything in your system, then things like your uh, relational database, like your OLAP or your um, graph database, those are essentially projections of this source of, the, of your events, and so what's nice about that is, um, imagine you need to write a new report, he, the guy was saying, and um, somebody in marketing wants to see a certain you know, number of users who do some actions and, and how many click through. Well, you can write that report today in your existing, like, say, relational database system, and then from today on, once you release to production, um, you'll be capturing that data, and then in a couple months, you can show them the report. However, if you're using an event source data database or event source system then you could write the report, and then you could go back and run it from the beginning of time. You're basically keeping all data from the beginning like, of time. Never destroy
3: information, yeah. And right.
2: so, so then by not lo- by never lossless data, by never losing it, you could show them the report later. Well, that's actually pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, nice. Now, um, other things obviously like um, auditing at any point in time, you would obviously know the state of your system. And um, if you needed a new, um, like a new model, you could just create that new model from, and replay your events into that new model. So, the idea of like we have several data stores and we keep them in sync with a message bus, or, or uh, uh, you know, that that you don't need to do that. You know, that that actually gets complex. And if things get out of sync, you're kind of hosed. So anyway, it's not. He said it's not new. Uh, it's been around. And obviously, um, certain systems. I think this guy was the guy who, who first coined the pattern. Uh, CQRS, or CRQS, or CQ... CQ, CQRS. Yeah, which is basically splitting your reads and your writes. And he's saying data can be split along lots of axes. People kind of get into the trap of, we can only have one type of data store, and really, you probably have data that you could use more than one type of data store. Right. Now, he didn't just say, like... He did say, like, you can't just have 10 databases. Like, we get it. Because, I mean, you (laughs) could, but operationally, there's an overhead so if you bring in Mongo and Cassandra and this and that and Redis and a relational database and this, you know, you're gonna have to run and maintain all those. So there's a cost. Yeah. It's not like it's a panacea. But it certainly sounds, you know, cool. And actually I should just ask you guys, so conceptually it makes total sense to do that. Practically speaking, you know, what are your options for this for your transaction log,
0: if you will? Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, me neither. Too many beers. <laughs> Postgres. <laughs> no. Uh, and they, have, you he, he yeah, have, have you seen this until he granted I have uh, not
3: so I think actually a couple of our uh, consultants on our contract they actually use event sourcing it's uh there's a pretty popular Scala library for it and it's used in a lot of places now when they're, especially when they're doing like uh things with high transaction processing things have to be really fast append only database of writing everything out blazing fast It's blazing yeah. fast this fake is, Disk space is cheap, so right. writing everything out is no big deal. Right. And that serves a lot of
2: uh I think things
3: with that had just high high transaction rates is a great model.
2: Yeah, actually Duncan DeVore, who uh, used to be a trade consultant, who's now uh, a uh, committer on the event sourced product right. project, I've I've talked to him about it and it sounds like a great model, but I was curious how popular it is because it certainly seems like well like if you could basically keep all your data to the end of time and be able to not have to worry about schema changes and all these other things. Why wouldn't everybody do it? But I think it's like one of those problems like um, why wouldn't you always encrypt everything in your database, like data arrest encryption? Right. It's complicated. I was right. just, just going to say the complicated
0: part comes and in and then yeah.
3: management. You also have really to redesign on a lot of your software to, to actually you know do event sourcing and support it.
2: Yeah, I was wondering like, what would happen with Hibernate if you had this kind
3: of event source data. <laughs> yeah. Well, never there deleting. would be a relational database that gets populated based off the event source stream that Hibernate would use.
2: But Then what would it update to? Yeah. You'd have to redesign a bunch of stuff, probably. Yeah, but it seems like a great model. I mean, it certainly seems like a good model for storing information. Right. And now that, like you said, disk space is cheap, processing power is cheap. So say, you know if you said, hey, um, we have data for the last 10 years, we're going to bring up a new graph model a graph database, and we're going to just populate that. Well, um, if you're replaying the last 10 years worth of data, that sounds like a you know CPU-intensive oh task God. or something. But when, but when you're talking about now you're in Amazon, okay, fine. So I spin up 20 you know extra large instances for a weekend, and it's done. And yeah, it cost me some money, but it, you have processing power these you know that you didn't have available um, you know without this with cloud providers, Elastic sources.
0: Well, here's my clueless statement, which is. Um you know, I could just see just trying to spin one mm-hmm. of these things up as you start writing and writing and writing. I'm assuming like every modification is just going to, okay. if I understand correctly, it's just updating the row. It's adding a new row that's saying this is the new version of it, right? Is yes. That, that kind of concept. Yes. So well, I mean, a so lot like, of- it's, okay, not, it's not- Like rows, imagine though. if you deleted a record, you yeah. wouldn't actually delete the record. you get an
3: event saying, oh, a delete yeah. record event occurred for this- you know, for this object, and right. that would be an entry in your event source stream. So to get data. to this
0: point in time, you have to kind of play that forward. You do. Exactly. Yes. So I could see like the performance of, as you get longer and longer in history. Sure. Yeah. If you want to go from the beginning of time for a 10-year set of data, which is not unreasonable if a big company goes to this model right. and they get audited, they yeah. might have to go back six, seven, eight years yeah, and, and find I, information. Exactly.
2: I think I remember, actually, Debashish Ghosh, who was here a couple of years ago, talking about this sort of model. He I think did. he did say you can make... Uh, one actual reasonable thing is to essentially make roll-up points and yeah. you almost have like go back to play replay from this point in like time. Like save points yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So that's but actually
3: what the, so the Scala events sourcing thing, it does that. It'll do, it can do periodic snapshotting. Okay. And so you don't have to replay from the beginning of time if your system went down and you lost data. You can replay from a snapshot so it's much faster to
0: bring your system back up.
2: Yeah, that kind of makes sense. But it, I think it's a great model for storing and I got to go look at some of this stuff. Yeah.
0: Right, right. So that sounded like a really good one. Did you have any others you were thinking about or
2: I mean Joel Spolsky gave the keynote and he yeah. talked about um, you know basically the social Q&A model which obviously cuz Hadel is a social Q&A product that yeah, was Yeah, was what were your thoughts
0: around that? Yeah.
2: I mean, I thought it was a good explanation for essentially constraints are what make communities good, you know. Yeah. But what he said was basically every user on the internet feels like is his inalienable right to, <laughs> if he sees a text box, to basically roll his forehead on the keyboard, hit enter, and have that be persistent until the end of time. That was his quote. <laughs> that was good. And in, re- and in reality, you know, um, and that many more open kind of communities um, inevitably result in some sort of massive flame war. So, <laughs> <laughs> so by having constrained things, Stack Exchange is constrained. You know uh he said their motto was no fun like <laughs> this is for serious work oh, well, and like if you don't yeah. if, you know if you're here you know this is not a joke telling site like there's plenty of those and you know <laughs> but having something is special purpose it can actually be much more useful and so i thought he was right and what stack exchange is focused on is the artifact not the discussion so they want to know the question and the right answer they don't care about how you arrived at that so it's not a discussion board and i thought that was a very good explanation of you know, uh, something to focus on, you know, which is this knowledge and not necessarily the process that went into deriving it. Although based off a lot of the Stack
3: Overflow stuff I've ever read or went to, I do find value in some of the discussions because there are, you know, a bunch of people with high reputation that have valid points. And there is value in the discussion. I think if they completely try to get rid of that that would be a problem. It would be a problem. No, I don't right. completely agree with that part of it.
2: Well, you're right, and they don't in that they, they display all the comments. So if if we kind of toyed with this with Hadel, but if comments are the meta discussion to a question or an answer, then should you hide them by default? Because you're trying to show the answer, not the meta discussion. But it turns out that a lot of important stuff, almost regardless of how you design the system, important things will bleed into the comments.
0: Yeah, right. I find it's like difficult because sometimes you're looking for... What you think you're looking for is not actually what you were looking for. Mm -hmm. You'll get another comment that actually is close to what you really needed. Yeah. And, oh, that's really what I was looking for, and it's still useful. And that's still, it's kind of like a a half hit, but it's useful. I can't tell how many times I've learned a lot from the comments. You'll
2: see the answer, and then the fourth comment down, and if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, multiply
0: by negative one. (laughs) Oh, okay, that was important information. Uh, so any, anything. So you know tomorrow we've got, um, and I, I, I'm not doing a dev news tomorrow, but you know, certainly we'll, we'll wrap it up in two weeks. But we've got a lot of interesting things coming yeah, up. I mean, um, the reactive
3: know, talks today were really good, and there's, there's going to be another. So there was a talk by Roland Kuhn today on reactive, uh, the reactive blueprint, like sort of reactive design and what that means, building resilient, responsive systems. And he's going to go into more detail tomorrow as well. So there's a nice. whole theme this et of like building reactive systems and I, the, the pretty good talks. There's a lot going on around that, that's yeah.
2: true. Um, there's the Elixir talk, looks really good. Elixir is essentially a uh, Ruby-like language that runs on the Erlang VM. Uh, that that looks really good uh, for me. And also uh, how a talk on building a cloud platform using the Netflix OS, the Netflix uh, open source stack. So I thought that was really cool. I was talking with Matt Schafer from Netflix today about the Netflix stack, and it really is an amazing stack of uh, you know, a lot of things that you need to build out a massive cloud structure, you know, cloud um, system that Netflix uses and they've open sourced. It was interesting to me how he described, like, when you're first starting out, and kind of his evolution in thinking, um, you know, when you're first starting out, you know, maybe like a a Rails app and a Postgres database or something, you know, is, is a good, is a really good starting platform, but when you get up to a certain scale, obviously Netflix is at some kind of insane scale, then they're kind of stacked you start to form, build a system that looks very different than your standard database-driven web app, but at the same time, if you're just starting out, you wouldn't try to build their system because you it would take you months more than it would, you know. So really are there almost different stacks for the different stage of your company, and the idea that you're going to start with one and migra- and stick with that all the way through, either you're going to start too big or start too small, and you're going to have problems either way. So it was interesting that the ne- basically the Netflix stack doesn't, he's, in his opinion, you don't want to do that unless you're at scale,
0: right? Right. Cool. All right. And, you know, next time we get together, we'll have to talk about you know, the, like for example, Brian gets his keynote tomorrow. Yeah, that will be awesome. I mean, I he's cannot the, wait for that. He's the architect of Java, you know, and. Actually, I'm talking to him a few minutes from now to, to get his stuff for like, for introducing him tomorrow. That's my job. No pressure. There's <laughs> <laughs> this guy, and he does Java. Here he is. You know. <laughs>
2: it's James Gosling. Um, no. 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 Uh, excuse me. That's not who it is.
0: <laughs> right. It's, it's uh, what's the Scott saying? McNeely. Scott McNeely. That's right, yeah.
2: No, try again.
0: It's Leo Laporte. Fired. Okay. So... So that's going to be really good, and, and I will be able to, to have some comments about my favorites next time. So, But, guys, thank you so much for stopping by and uh, doing the, the Dev News today. Awesome. it's fun. So that's Dev News number 85 at ETE 2014. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm to John Capadia. I'm Joel Confiner. And another year down.